You're listening to the Washington Hospitality Industry Podcast, your primary source of information related to the hospitality industry in Washington State. Good morning and welcome to the CEO Podcast. While you're getting settled in, I've got a little bit of housekeeping for you. Today, Washington Hospitality Association President and CEO Anthony Antone is joined by Cassie Sauer, CEO of the Washington Hospital Association. If you have a question, feel free to type it into the Q&A feature at the bottom of your screen. Today's broadcast is brought to you by Office Depot, and with that, I will hand this off to Anthony. Good morning, Anthony. Good morning, Lisa. I can't wait to get to our guest and then on to our big topic. But I do want to say uh, thank you to our sponsor, Office Depot. They've been a partner with us since 2014. Uh, the program really delivers one-stop solutions for uh, the right supplies, uh, negotiated discounts, and award-winning customer service. Uh, we've counted on Office Depot for regular supplies, but also for things like food and beverage disposals, disposables, apparel, cleaning products, uh, print and copy services, and so on and so forth. So really a great partner with us. Thank you to Office Depot. Um, visit our website, wahospitality.org, and navigate over to member savings to learn more about our program. Um, that being said, I'm going to go off our normal script today, where normally I brief everyone about the past month, but let's just call last month crazy. And, uh, and then I go on to usually give everyone a warning about the upcoming month. But the reality is next month's going to be dominated um, by an announcement that will be made tomorrow. So if you're listening to this on the podcast later in the week, the federal announcement on what vaccine mandates are going to be um, hasn't been made at the time of this podcast. So the last we heard is it's going to be released tomorrow morning uh, on the 4th. So that's a Thursday. So uh, we will be diving into that uh, next month and bringing everyone to speed on the news. And of course, Lex, your team's got its work cut out for us. Um, and we'll be getting all that information out as soon as we have what exactly the Biden administration announced and what it looks like and what people to know. I know the National Restaurant Association's already scheduled a legal podcast, uh, so people will be able to check into that as well with your membership. All that being said, um, if I hold my head just right over our logo, um, I can have the Washington Hospital Association, but actually we're hospitality and I'm proud to have with me um, the actual Washington State Hospital, Hospital Association, uh, Cassie Sauer, uh, the CEO of the Washington State Hospitality Association. Cassie, welcome. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I have been telling everyone I know that the biggest metric that's going to be important to COVID is, is not necessarily the spread of the disease or the deaths or the are not, it's the impact on our hospitals. I think no matter where people are at, um, on this issue, which can be so divisive. Everyone wants um, hospital space, the heroes in our hospitals to be taken care of, and you have the ability to do what you need to do. So I thought it was important to hear from you. Um, where are you at right now with COVID and in our state's hospitals? Um, and what should people who really care about our communities be aware of what you're going through? Thanks so much, Anthony. And I wanna just thank you um, for your work throughout the pandemic. I, for the members of the Hospitality Association, Anthony is an amazing advocate for you. Um, he is tenacious and always wanting to um, make sure he's got the latest information and just, um, I think, two steps ahead of everybody else in their advocacy. So really um, 
uh, you have a great representative. Um, you know, we are, we are um, way better, hospitals are way better than they were about, um, you know, a month and a half or two months ago, but still as bad as we have been with COVID cases throughout the earlier waves of the pandemic. There's about a thousand people hospitalized right now with COVID across the state. And that was the peak of prior waves. Um, the Delta wave was the highest ever. And, you know, you, you saw hospitals and others in the surrounding states declare crisis standards of care where they couldn't care for everyone and actually let people die that they couldn't care for. Um, we never got to that point. But it's, um, you know, and it's largely unvaccinated people, not entirely. The, the vaccinated folks who are in the hospital typically have an underlying condition, like they're being treated for cancer or they've had an organ transplant, for example. But mostly it's unvaccinated folks. Um, and the death rates are significant. People, once they move to a ventilator, their chance of survival is not great. So it's really heart-wrenching work. Um, we also have a bunch of demand for other services that have been, that's been canceled. You know, tons of things are canceled during the Delta wave. I suspect that probably all of the listeners here know somebody or maybe even they themselves had something that they had scheduled, a knee replacement, a heart valve replacement, you know, a, even a colonoscopy that was canceled because there wasn't space in the hospital. And that's a huge concern about, can we care for the greater needs of the community beyond COVID? Um, you know, we want, we want to do a lot of other things besides COVID. We want to, um, and, and uh, so that crunch in hospital capacity um, continues. Things are, have been getting better. The, the cases have gone down, but in the last week they've plateaued and actually that hospitalization cases, I mean, and actually um, started to creep up a tiny bit. I don't know if it's a trend or if it's just an anomaly of a few days. I sure hope it's just an anomaly and we're gonna keep going down, but that's always worrisome when we start to see that curve um, bend the other way. Talk to me a little bit about the, the prioritization of care. Cause I think that's the big issue that probably galvanizes the middle about how to approach um, COVID. Um, I know that I had a member in Vancouver whose daughter broke uh, her leg and couldn't get into the hospital for treatment. We lost a member to cancer who couldn't get early treatment for his cancer treatment because the hospitals were full. And then by the time he could, the cancer had progressed too far. Um, and I know you're doing the best you can. I'm not trying to blame any of these things on you, but these are the impacts we have when our emergency rooms are full. Um, where are you at with prioritizing care? And from today's level, how far do you have to drop so these issues um, are, are not a concern. Yeah, um, I'm so sorry about both those stories. They're terrible. Um, that that really does reflect the state of hospitals and the way that you prioritize care is you take care of the people who are, you know, if you don't care for them, they're going to be dead or severely disabled quickly, you know, in the next 24 or 48 hours. And there's quite a lot of COVID that's like that. If you don't get them on a ventilator right away, you know, it's, it's, they won't, they won't survive the day. Um, so there is still, I, I think it's getting better. I think people are more able to get care than a lot of, a lot of things have been put back on the schedule, but it is a day-to-day, -day, still a day-to-day -day decision for every hospital looking at their COVID cases, their staffing, you know, we are, we've lost staff both because of the, the, the burnout because of other, the other issues, you know, you are facing the same things. Like people don't have childcare, you know, people they're, they're so they're, worried about coming to work or they're worried about exposing their families. And then we lost some folks, not a ton, less than we thought because of the vaccine requirement. So all those things combined to mean that the uh, hospital capacity is pretty, pretty tight. And it, it still, people still have the risk of whatever the thing they've got scheduled being canceled. So if you have a surgery date 
and it's going forward, do everything you can to make it. That'd be my advice. Well, I, I can't tell you uh, how much I appreciate you being on and helping, uh, helping people understand what's going on out there, not from a political point of view, just the functional operation of, of your world, right? As much as Thank we you. have a functional operation of ours. Last question for you, in order to be um, at a point where these issues are not a concern, is it fair to say that around July um, was kind of the last time we started leaving um, where you had a reasonable workload? <laughs> happy, happy land. Yeah. Right. Yeah, uh, you know, and I, I, I'm, I'm still feeling very uh, bad about this because it felt like in the be end of June, beginning of July, you know, we were going to have a, a easy summer, and you know, I had lots of plans with my kids, and I was, you know, really feeling so relieved and excited about how things seemed to to be, and that we did, the COVID cases were very small. You know, there were like 300 cases in the hospitals, and then to have that just taken away um, is really challenging. And I don't have any predictions because I did not predict this at all. I did not think we were going to get to the highest peak ever um, after the vaccine campaign had rolled out. So I, you well, know, and I know you can't predict time, yeah. but around that July timeframe, we were about three cases per hundred thousand in, in hospitalizations. Yeah. Um, is that about what we have to drop to from today's 11 cases per hundred thousand? No, I think it doesn't. I, I think it could be, I, I think if we could have the 11 cases per 100,000, you know, cut that in half, we'd be in good shape. I don't think it needs to be, we were, we were in good shape before we got to 300. We'd like to, I mean, 300 was great. It felt like a breeze when you think about the, all the, the hospitals across the state, but um, even half of where we are today would be a lot of relief. Anything else you'd want our industry to be aware of um, as we go through this uh, crisis together? Well, you're about to navigate potentially, or some of your larger members are about to navigate another vaccine uh, requirement. And we did, we have just finished that. And we'd be I offered to Anthony, we'd be happy to share our toolkit and our thoughts about this and, you know, how we worked on it. We had lost fewer staff than we thought. Um, so that's good, the good news. It was a huge challenge and very divisive. Um, but the ultimate the end was we did we did lose staff but we didn't lose as many as we anticipated. Lexi, you got to take her up on that offer for our for our toolkits. We are working on how to talk to your employees about vaccinations and 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 uh, and I think this would be a good add to that. So give our member then one last hint and we'll let you run because I can't. I asked you last minute and I thought this was important, but for those who are about to deal with with the employee vaccination side, um, uh, what would be the the one thing to keep in mind as we learn what's out there? Talk to people one-on-one -on -one as much as you can, you know, to um, give people as much notice as you can and really um, encourage them to talk to their doctors and to talk to the, you know, if you can make a connection with someone who's a medical provider in the community who can come talk to your staff, um, that that kind of individual counseling is what did it for a lot of people. Well, Cassie, I know we'll talk many more times through this thing and hopefully we'll just uh, be able to go to a restaurant, talk about the similarity of our association <laughs> names and and, yes. and and say, remember when. But thanks yes. for all your Thank hard you. work and for all your team members of what they're going through on behalf of our community. Thank you too. With that, I wanna to switch to uh, our workforce crisis, um, which is continuing. Um, and I'm gonna share my screen, uh, but I know that most of you will be listening to your in your car later. So don't worry about what I'm talking about. This is more my um, guide. So as I get ADD, I don't totally get off track and then we run out of time. Um, but we, um, if you remember back in 
April, May, I talked about our workforce crisis and what we were facing. I wish I was wrong of what was going to occur, but it, it has played out that way. A lot changed in September. On September 4th, um, uh, people stopped getting their unemployment insurance benefits. And that is re resulting in pretty much where we're at. So I wanna walk through what we know in numbers. I wanna be honest, September 4th was the, uh, was the date where all the unemployment benefits got cut off. September 12th is the date where the new data came out. Not enough time to get a full picture. We'll get a bigger picture in October, but pretty close um, from a lot of the things I can tell. If you look at our workforce during COVID um, as a state, the state is uh, um, still down 61,000 uh, workers as of September uh, from where they were uh, prior. If you look at our industry, um, and I'm gonna move this off the screen just a little bit, our industry is still down 41,000 workers, so about 12%. We are the most impacted uh, industry um, from a workforce perspective, and uh, we'll be the ones that will have a hardest time coming back. Where I think this really gets interesting is if you look at unemployment, um, there were still 144,000 people on the unemployment insurance system in September, but the UI numbers are already out, and as of October, there's 368 fewer people on unemployment in October than there was in the same time period, 2019. So in other words, the workforce is now off the system and available for work. What they choose is absolutely in front of us. If you assume that about 40 to 50% of those 144 workers that are no longer receiving unemployed benefits have now found employment, which is what I'm hearing consistently from a lot of the experts, that would mean Washington state now has more people working um, than it did in 2019. So in other words, uh, people are working, people are out there. We have roughly, if you follow that line of logic, um, almost three and a half million people uh, working today. Um, where did they go? Um, well, so far the people who've been hurt the worst, hospitality has obviously lost 40,000 workers. Manufacturing has lost about 30,000 workers. That's mostly Boeing, that's mostly Snohomish County. And, um, and education has lost about 24,000 workers. On the other hand, everybody else is up 1%. Everybody else has roughly more workers than they had in 2019. Um, as of September 12th, um, grocery uh, being one of the larger uh, benefactors of being up about 9,000 workers, and information, which is an odd category, but that is the category that Amazon is, is in, is roughly up 8,000 workers. So what I'm really trying to get home to people, and, and then I'm going to open this up for questions, is Washington's economy uh, now has more workers and fewer people on unemployment than it did in 2019 this workforce shortage crisis is now a free market issue. How are we going to compete for workers? All that's in spite of the fact that we did have a big retirement boom. A lot of people chose to retire after delaying their retirement for four or five or six years. And we had a big group at, in one shot decided to come back. The difference in generation sizes, the ongoing impact of childcare that do have some people not choosing to go back to work, 
because they just don't have childcare to take care of their kids or dependable school because their 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 school's going through uh, uh, their own COVID crisis of being open or being closed or being shut down or being isolated. And in spite of everybody else being up one percent. I talk to, like Cassie, a lot of these other associations on a daily basis, they're all reporting about a 10% need. So all of, we're up and unemployment numbers are down and yet these things still are true. Um, which even more compounds the fact, um, we have a free market challenge in front of us for the next one to three years about how we compete work for, for a workforce. Alex, I'm really going to ask our members that they all, if they haven't already, and I'm sure most of them have, need to ask themselves, how am I going to compete for workers moving forward? Um, what does my new model look like uh, in a new reality moving forward? Do I open for lunch? Do I close a couple of days? Do I attack this differently? Do I get a different style of worker? And then how can technology help me? I think those are the big three questions that an operator in hospitality is gonna be burdened with um, in trying to figure out how to function differently. I do wanna note all these numbers are pre any impact of the vaccine mandates. And um, we don't know those yet, uh, but they will be coming out probably closer to December numbers. Um, Lex, as I walked through a diagnosis of the current workforce crisis, put on your old pizza hat, um, what questions would you have for me? Well, I, I think one is how do we compete with the likes of Amazon uh, as as a as a, a a restaurant owner and paying? Let's say we're even paying, you know, we're paying the seventeen dollars per hour for a bus a busser uh, and wait staff. We're still we're paying the minimum wage, which is the highest we've ever had in our industry's history. Yet we see in the headlines. Um, truckers being offered $10,000 signing bonuses, they can't fill those jobs. My question is, Anthony, how do we, how do you manage that? I mean, how can you compete with that level from a financial perspective? So I'm going to try to dissect that question. And Lex, um, I may not be able to answer it. It'd be one of the biggest questions in front of us. But, but Lisa, I do want to um, let our, our listeners know um, we're going to open this up for q and I'm going to try to answer every questions I know how to answer. Um, uh, but please start putting your questions in the chat. Lisa, you're going to be the one um, that will tell me what's up next or if they've been similar questions, it's already been answered. So I'm going to lean on you. If you're listening to your car and you really want to ask me a question about this or something else, Lisa, how can they follow up with a question uh, later? Yeah, they can email um, podcast at wahospitality.org. I will drop that into the chat. Um, yes, the wahospitality.org. Okay. So, so please email us. We typically do get about uh, five to 10 questions after the podcast. We respond all the ones we know how, and we'll go from there. Lex, to your question, um, one, uh, I do think we have to be aware of what the market is around us. Um, I do get reminded that Pacific County and Seattle do not have the same markets, that Walla Walla and Spokane may not have the same market. So I think to one degree, uh, you're going to look have to look at where you are and who you're competing with and analyze your own situation. There's not going to be a statewide answer. Um, and wages seem to be changing, you know, relatively quickly. 
Um, so data tends to be out pretty quickly. So I think regularly checking Indeed or websites or other things to find out what's going on right now for who I'm competing with and looking beyond just your category of worker, but looking at the warehouse worker, the construction worker, particularly in the areas of the kitchen or on maintenance in hotels where we try to compete with other industries, learning what's going on there. The other thing, and, and this is a really tough question with a lot of angles, I'm not going to be able to answer them all in a 20 minute podcast, but I would also say, don't just worry about money, worry about two other things. Do you have a great culture um, where people really want to recruit for you? And we did talk about that earlier um, in, a, in a prior podcast. And then two, um, uh, can you sell a vision? I think one of the things we're hearing from WorkSource and other people and universities is people think of our industry and they think of the first job in our industry, not the job that can take them in two, three years to the state's average wage and beyond. They don't see the bigger picture. So when you bring in new workers, say, we're really excited to have you at the front counter today. Um, I remember when I started, here's how you get to be an assistant GM or a bar lead or a regional. And here are the jobs that our industry provides it. We're not used to that, but we're gonna have to get really comfortable selling a vision to attract this generation. And those kind of things can help us overcome the money issue. Small answer to a much bigger problem. Looks like we've got some, um, Brian from uh, the chat mentioned uh, immigration uh, could potentially help as well. Um, yeah, I think we're trying to get a handle on, on where that might be some of the issue we've, we've dealt with in the past and how this is moving forward. So I do think that's gonna be a larger issue. We've actually had some people reach out on H2B partnerships and how to really partner with um, the, the Southern Triangle of, of workers who might be available or some of the other things and, and look at that. I think lodging a long time for a while has done a great job of giving people opportunities from other areas. Um, and we know a lot of our kitchens are often dependent on, on, on an opportunity uh, provided uh, from, from new workers to our country. So I think that is something we need to talk about um, moving forward is what our immigration policies look like and how do we make H2B visas easier? That covers both the questions in the chat, actually. Um, so I, I think, Lex, let me flip the script on you. I'm, you're usually asking me, but I'll be honest, you're the technology guy. You're also our information guy. Um, Lex is the person in the office who knows, like we all know, have this one friend who knows everything about technology and you beg them to fix all the things that you know you don't know. Uh, Lex, you're an amazing team member when it comes to that. Most of our operators did not get into the industry for technology. When I say, how can technology help me? And they're like, I'm not trained on this stuff. How do I even begin that conversation? How does a non-techie begin to learn how technology can help them in, in a workforce shortage? Well, I think start asking some of your staff uh, who, are, who are into that. I mean, it doesn't matter where they're at, but if, if generally if they're a millennial or Gen Z, um, and you notice that, oh, they're trading Bitcoin, well, that guy probably knows, or that uh, lady probably knows a little something about technology. Um, and then asking them, hey, what are some of the things that we can do as an operation 
that would one, make this culture of this organization or this restaurant be more appealing to you and your friends? And two, what can we do from a technology perspective to attract some of your friends and, and, and the folks who are, who are like-minded? Um, and I think that we're in one of those uh, times right now where you have things like cryptocurrencies, you have things like uh, remote working, a lot of things that are um, emerging that could greatly benefit, um, that, that attract the younger workforce. And um, I think restaurants and hotels are well positioned to take advantage of those things. There's a uh, link in the chat about the uh, toolkit that we just came out with. It's um, it deals with just this issue. It's the hospitality technology toolkit. If you want to go ahead and click on that, we've got resources in there for you. Well, and, and Lex, I'm going to encourage us. Thank you for that answer. And I'm going to encourage our, our information team or our members. If you have great resources on how people can start thinking and adopting technology, um, we've talked about this pre-COVID that all of the major companies now have a chief technology officer. Well, that's nice if you're a major corporation, but most of our members um, are community small businesses and don't have that obligation. How do they think about technology on an equal level with these other things? So anyone has any resource ideas for Lex to pass on? And Lex, I encourage you to continue to get the word out there about that. Um, I'm, I'm laughing at one of the questions in there. We had our very first association in-person board meeting since COVID started. Um, and it was great to be back. It was great to see people. I realized that we had board members uh, this past month that had only met each other on Zoom and had no idea how tall the other person was <laughs> or anything about them. They'd never met them. So I, I, I am looking forward to moving forward um, together um, and moving forward with that. We do have a couple of questions in the chat, yeah. in the Q&A. Um, first of all, what kinds of workers are staying in our industry or joining our industry and why that information can help us target our job, job posting and retention strategy? Um, what kind of workers? I think that's a great question. We um, just had a podcast on, on the motive, um, um, excuse me, on finding the ideal worker. Um, Lisa, do we have the updated version of that podcast available? We do, and I can drop that into the chat. That, that conversation is finding the ideal worker actually morphed into a great conversation. So it's going to become a two-part podcast about starting with the workforce you have and really looking at the workers we have now and making sure that they still have the hunger um, and they're ready to get back out there. They still have the mental wherewithal after all the stress we've been to be um, staying emotionally intelligent or smart um, and uh, that they still have, uh, they, well, I think we've all been humbled, but they can approach our, our customers with humility. So th it, that was a really interesting podcast to hear uh, uh, Taryn Patel uh, from uh, A1 Hospitality and, and one of the officers of AHOA and also uh, Lane Haas um, talk about how, before we start looking outward for employees, um, how we have to assess our current teams. Um, and uh, so get a chance to listen to that podcast. Hopefully that will help. And our next question is, are other state hospitality associations reporting similar numbers in terms of worker shortages and where they may have gone? Or is this regional issue partially due to our large tech companies? Um, you know, what's really interesting to me um, and great question. If I'm being honest, I'm going to say, I don't know for a fact. Um, I've studied data. For those who don't know me, I love staring at all these numbers across the country and trying to learn and how to help you get guidance to that. 
um, the, the anecdotes are very different. Yes, the workforce shortage is across the country, um, but the other states are having more of a stay home issue than we appear to be having. So they're having a workforce shortage, but they're having a workforce shortage apparently, or, or it seems to be for a different reason. And they're having more people choose to stay home um, versus get engaged, where we now have more workers working than we did in 2019. And we're really competing pretty hard for workers. And so I think one of the bigger issues that happened to us that did not happen in a lot of other states is we lost 140,000 workers because of our approach to COVID. We were closed for months on end. Those workers went and found work in other industries who were hiring, and now they're working over there because they got kicked out of our industry by, by, by what was mandated by the government at the time. And now we're having to say, come back. <laughs> and how do we recruit back? Really tough challenge. It's different than what you might've expected in a lot of Southern states or Midwestern states. Um, and yet all states seem to be having their number one issue be a workforce shortage from what I'm getting the anecdotes about. All right, those are all the questions we have. Well, one, um, if you're listening in your car and you want to learn about the Northwest Hospitality Leadership Podcast, our first episode was last month, and that was when I was just talking about of finding the ideal team worker. Um, Lisa, where can on our website they go since they're listening and they can't see the link that you've added? Ah, well, they can go to our website, uh, wahospitality.org. Great, thank you so much. And while I'm saying thank you, I do want to thank everyone who listened in and continue to support the industry. It's an honor to serve you. I want to thank our endorsed partner, Office Depot, for sponsoring this episode. Um, when you access our Office Depot program, you can save not only time and money, but you can get um, some non-dues revenue to support the association, which we appreciate because we need our help to survive too. So. Uh, contact us today to learn more or go to our website and check it out. Um, next month, the conversation is going to be vaccine mandates. Uh, later this week, we will know what the vaccine mandates are, um, and we will be producing all kinds of information to get it out there. And later in the month, we'll learn where the governor's office is going to go officially. Um, so stay tuned, watch our emails. We'll try to make sure we get you all the information we can. Um, and good luck out there. It's an honor to serve you. Thanks for listening to the Washington Hospitality Industry Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, wahospitality.org, where you can learn more about the restaurant and lodging industries and the Washington Hospitality Association. Be sure to subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google, Spotify, or iHeartRadio so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Thank you so much for that effort. Until next time.